you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Galatians chapter number 6. And I know we're getting into the Christmas season, but uh, we are not done with Galatians. This will be the last message, can you believe it, in Galatians. It's only been like six months in the making, so we have arrived. But Galatians chapter number 6, and uh, as you're turning there, though, I do... Uh, I do want to ask for uh, a prayer request that was mentioned to me right before the service uh, for Riley. Uh, I don't know how many remember um, that we prayed earlier this year uh, for this baby. Uh, She is the great-great-granddaughter, I want to say, or great-great, just the great, just one great, one great, great great-granddaughter of uh, the Ganaways, and um, she'd been battling uh, her health since she was born. And, um, and for a little while, it looked like she was doing really well. And, um, and so they had sent her back home from the hospital and, uh, she was doing great for, for a few months there. But, um, uh, this, this past week she, she got pneumonia and so she's fighting that and, uh, the doctors are giving the baby medicine cause she can't cough. She can't get any of her lungs to, of course, shoot that out on her own. And, uh, and so they're working uh, on her. And so I just want to take a moment, uh, if we could, this morning to pray for her. Uh, and as I said, just I want you to, I would ask for you to be praying throughout the week uh, for Riley and her parents um, as, they, as they go through this together as a family, uh, that God would put his hand of healing on the baby. Uh, and if he, God so chooses, then, uh, then Riley's going to be just fine. Uh, but sometimes um, God's got different plans than our plans. And so whatever God's plans are, we want to just uh, um, be ready to accept and follow and, um, and trust. And our, our faith um, really is, is not tested in the good times of life. Our, fa- our faith is tested in the, in, the, in the tragedies and difficulties of life, the difficult circumstances. And so... We certainly want to pray for Riley and her health, but we also want to pray for her parents and uh, the Ganaway's faith during this time. So let's take a moment before we jump into our study this morning uh, to pray. Father, I, I ask as we come before you this morning for a prayer request that we've asked before. We pray for Riley this morning. Father, you know the, the complications with her health that she is facing today. Father, you've been so good in, uh, in her life as to allow her to overcome other health issues that she's had in her, um, in her short life. And, and Father, you've, you've allowed her to uh, get to a point where she didn't have to be in the hospital anymore. She could go home and uh, just enjoying some of the, the beauties and wonders of life itself. But Father, you've allowed this pneumonia to, to come into her body and and so, Father, we pray that uh, you'd put your hand of healing on her. Pray that your presence would be with her. Uh, we claim the promise of your word that says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Your word promises that the children, uh, the kingdom of heaven is for the children of this world. And, and Father, we, we pray that you would, um, you would be with Riley in a special way. And Father, though she cannot perhaps express uh, that feeling of your presence, yet we pray that it would be there nonetheless and that she would feel that and know it. 
Then I pray for the faith of her parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. Uh, Father, I can imagine uh, how it feels to go through something so difficult, to, to, to be in a situation, Father, where you feel powerless to do anything. And yet, Father, it is in those times when our faith can be made strong. It's in those times of weakness when we can recognize and understand and see your power manifested. And so, Father, I pray that you would be with their faith. I pray that you would strengthen their faith. I ask that you would give them not only strength to endure, but the hope, the hope that we have in you, that that hope would be what brings comfort at a time like this. And, and, uh, and Father, be with the doctors as they are trying to do their very best to uh, treat uh, the pneumonia. I pray that what they prescribe and what they do would have a, a right kind of effect. And uh, and then, Father, I just pray that you would uh, show yourself mighty through all of this. Uh, for it is in the circumstances of life that we can give you honor and glory. And, and so, Father, we, we pray that you would just show yourself as you are a God of grace and mercy during this time. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter number 6, and uh, we're going to be studying from verse 11 all the way to the end, verse number 18, and be concluding our study in this short letter of Paul to the church at Galatia. Galatians chapter 6, verse 11 to verse 18. Let me just say as we start our study this morning that every Christian ought to be distinguished. They ought to be different in every aspect that matters. Now, let me just say that I'm not talking about our outward appearance, you know, what we wear, how we look at church, and how we talk, and I'm not talking about that. I'm saying that every Christian in the areas that matter, the areas that are important to God, the areas that God highlights that says this is what makes you different, we ought to be distinguished in those areas. We ought to be different in our conduct, in our goals, and in our desires. We, 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 we may all have that saving faith that is found in Jesus Christ, but now that faith, the way it works itself out in our life, ought to make us distinguished. I was looking up this week um, some information on diamonds, and if you're familiar at all with diamonds, you know they're made of carbon from immense pressures and temperatures. And, um, and diamonds are obviously very rare, very rare. Uh, that's why they're so costly. That's why they're so expensive if you want to buy a, a diamond ring or necklace or anything that has diamond stones, you know that it's one of the most costliest stones that you can buy. Now, even though all diamonds are made of carbon, not all are cut the same. All right, now, ladies might know this better than us men, but there's like the princess cut, the emerald cut, the round cut, the cushion cut, the radiant cut. You say, how do you know that? I wrote them down. I just looked them up. I, I, I would not have known that before. All diamonds made of carbon, but they're not all cut the same. Now, all Christians come to a saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. We are all saved by grace alone in Christ alone. 
but we are, we're distinguished, we're different, we're, we're cut differently, and God's got different plans for us, and, and it's, it's a very distinguished and different and distinct kind of life that you'll live as a Christian. Now, as you get to the end of this letter, you'll find that Paul's final words are a little distinct than what he would normally say. If you read the letter to the Philippians or the letter to the Romans, you'll find that in the last couple chapters, Paul's usually saying hi to different people, different leaders or pastors in the church, and he's giving them the salutations and, and, uh, and just kind of uh, letting them know how much he misses them and how much he loves them. But here in this letter to the church of Galatia, he doesn't do that at all. It's, it's very different. It's almost an abrupt end to the letter. Uh, he just gives a concluding message and then puts it in their hands and says, listen, I've shared what God has laid in my heart to share with you. And there you go. Notice how what he writes. I want you to see. He, notice, he, he, he writes this, verse 11, Galatians 6, verse 11. See ye, uh, ye see, I'm sorry, how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. As many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy upon the Israel of God. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. A quick conclusion to this letter. Six verses here that he leaves, or seven, with a specific message. Message kind of summarizing what he's already said, but then also a challenge to those in Galatia to live now what has been shared with them, uh, to live a spirit-filled life. And I love that in verse number 11, before he gives that concluding message, he, he gives this verse that is, uh, it, it, it's a verse where, He's pointing out something. He's, he's trying to say, look how, um, how important what I'm about to tell you is. Uh, when, you, when you see the phrase, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> when you see the phrase, you see how large a letter, he's not talking about how many chapters or a long letter that he's written. Uh, most, uh, most scholars believe that a better translation might be, how large letters I'm writing to you, like, like all caps. He's, he's kind of saying, and whenever you ha see something in all caps, usually it's because it's important, right? If it says, do not enter a sign, it's usually all in capital letters, or uh, poison, they'll put it all in capital letters. And capital letters is to, to show the reader, this is important. What I'm about to say, look, this label and this message is very important. And Paul says that on the concluding of this letter, he says, I've written this, and I want you to see it. And there are three distinguishing characteristics that he kind of shares in this last message. Number one, he's going to share a warning. Number two, he's going to share about a walk. And number three, he's going to share a wish that he has. All right, a warning, a walk, 
and a wish. So let's study that really quick. Number one, let's notice the warning that he starts with in verse number 12. He kind of summarizes in this, uh, in this verse the truth that he's been uh, sharing with the Galatians. And number one, it's this, don't fall for religious pridefulness. He said, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, and he's talking about these Judaizers that were, that were trying to get them to get circumcised. He says, I want you to understand, they're, they're telling you to, to do these works, uh, and they're constraining you. That means they're persuading you, they're putting pressure on you, uh, because they don't want to suffer for the message of the cross. They, they don't want to suffer for what they think is foolishness. They, they want you uh, to follow after this religious uh, practices, this religious good works. He, he's saying that they're, they're, they're pressuring you to do that, and he's saying do not fall for that. Uh, the reason for them doing this, he says, is just so that they can have some pride of look what they're doing. Look what's happening as a result of our message, of our work. Uh, it, it was all about putting on a good show. That's why he says at the beginning of the verse, notice it one more time, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh. In other words, they're just, it, it was something that was feeding their pride. Uh, the, the pride of these false teachers, these Judaizers was this, I want to control your life. I'm going to tell you how you can eat, what you can eat, what you ought to look like, what you ought to do, and, and this, I'm going to tell you what's acceptable to God, and if I don't say it, then don't believe it and don't follow it. It was all about feeding their pride, right? It was, it was all these religious practices to make them, these teachers, these false teachers, feel important. It was all about their pride and feeding their pride, and Paul said, look, I've, I've shared Everything that I've shared in this letter with you, it's like I'm going to call attention and remind you, that is pride. It's, it's nothing more, those religious works is nothing more than pride. Don't follow them in that. They're putting pressure on you to do that and live that way uh, because they don't want to follow the message of the cross. They're not for the gospel. They're against the gospel. The message of the gospel is all about Christ and his work. It's all about crucifying ourselves, our flesh, our desires, our sin to the cross. And he says, these teachers, these Judaizing teachers, it's all about pride. It's all about feeding their own pride. It's all about controlling you. It's just for them. He says, don't, don't fall for that. In a similar situation, he writes to the church at Corinth, and I put this in your notes, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you, and he's being a little sarcastic when he writes this, how important they are. But they are only comparing themselves with each other, using, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. Paul said, this is nothing new. At the church at Corinth, many were doing the same thing, comparing themselves among themselves. And Paul says, that's not wise. That's not the Christian life. So he tells the church at Galatia, listen, I'm going to write this in all caps. Those that are telling you that you need to be circumcised and putting this pressure, that you've got to do all these good works so God will be pleased with you, it's nothing more 
than for them to feel or feed their pride. They just want to control your life. They have nothing to do with the gospel. It's nothing to do with the message that God has for you of Him coming and dying. It has nothing to do with that. So flee from that. Secondly, uh, in his warning, in verse number 13, he says, don't fall for religious hypocrisy. So first of all, pride. <coughs> Excuse me. First of all, it's pride. Secondly, it's the hypocrisy. It says in verse 13, for neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised. Why? That they may glory in your flesh. The, the hypocrisy of what they were teaching and what they're pressuring the, the, the church at Galatia to do, one was to feed their pride, and two, they were nothing more than hypocrites in what they said. You know, if somebody is wrong, but at least they believe it and they act upon it, you can have a certain amount of respect for it, right? I, I can have a certain amount of respect uh, for that Muslim man that uh, gets on his prayer rug and, and prays uh, towards Mecca. I think he's totally wrong. According to the Bible, that's not how you find forgiveness, and that's not who God is, and that's not a true God. Allah is not a true God. But I have at least some respect that they believe it enough to actually practice it in their life. Paul was saying, look at these Judaizers, they're asking you to do something they're not even doing in their life. Uh, they're, they're very prideful. They're feeding their pride with what they're teaching you, and you can see the hypocrisy clearly in their life. You, you notice that what they're saying is not what they're living. They, they're, they're talking about, well, listen, if you want to be a part of the true Israel and the, and the true promised people of God, then, then you've got to do these certain things and eat these certain things and have these certain works in your life. And Paul said, that's not what the gospel says. That's not what Jesus taught. Avoid that hypocrisy. Be careful. There's a warning that Paul says. Listen, I'm telling you one more time. He's saying, be careful with the pride that comes with a religious life. Be careful with the hypocrisy that comes out with that religious life. Secondly, he talks about a walk. A walk. When you get to verse number 14, he says, but God forbid that I should glory. Paul said, listen, I'm not, I'm not sharing this to feed my pride. Notice I'm not sharing with you something that I'm not doing in my life. He says, <coughs> God forbid I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Paul is concluding with this to encourage the Galatian Christians to walk in a way that defines them rightly. To walk in a spirit-filled manner. Now, how is that manifested in itself. How, how, how does someone do that? How do you walk in that way? Well, well, Paul shares that in verse 14, 15, and 16. Number one, he says, in the light of the cross. He said, I, I can tell you, here's why I can tell you that what I'm teaching you isn't for my, my pride, because I'm teaching you about someone else's work, not my work. And, and, and number two, I, I'm, I'm teaching you something that I've lived, uh, something that I I have not only proclaimed, but something that I practice in my life. And that is living in the light of the message of the cross. You see, Paul reminds the Galatian church that their lives should be marked or distinguished by the cross. 
Paul had lived by the cross as he came to a saving knowledge of Jesus. The cross became his response to the world and the world's response to him. Notice, I love the way he describes it. Just You can underline this in the Bible if you want. But it says, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. How did, how did he glory in the cross? By applying and living in the light of the cross. His response to the world. See, when worldliness, temptation came into his life, and hey, you ought to live this way. Yeah, you ought to live for money. You ought to live for fame. You ought to, you ought to live and, and make sure that, that people are always well beneath you. You're above them. This, the worldliness mindset, hey, it's all about what I can get for myself. Whoever ends the life with the most toys wins. Wrong. But worldliness will teach you that. And here's what Paul said. You know, when that temptation comes into my life, I have to say I crucified that thinking. <coughs> I don't live for that anymore. There was a time that I did live for that when it was all about status. You know how, you know why he could warn them so much about the religious people that were feeding their pride? Because Paul lived that life. You know why he said the motive for why they're doing that is to feed their pride and so they can glory in what they're doing? He said, because that's what I used to do when I was them. See, Paul was a Pharisee. He used to be a Judaizer. He used to constrain. In fact, he used to take people to prison if they didn't follow what he was saying. And he said, it was all about feeding my pride and my status. And I was nothing but a hypocrite, I found. He said, so then when the, the, the gospel came into my life, it changed everything. So now I'm living in the light of the cross. So worldliness comes in, I say, I've crucified that. When, when the thought uh, of the flesh comes in and, and begins to tempt with, with something sinful, whether it be idolatry or, or whether it be uh, something of, of hatred or anger or lasciviousness, Paul said, I've crucified that. I've crucified the world to me. I've crucified the flesh in my life. I, I've had to do away with that. Living in the light of the cross is knowing there are some things in my life that I've got to put to death. I can't feed. So Paul says, there's a warning in a religious life that is wrong. And your response to that ought to be a right walk. That right walk starts with living in the life or in the light of the cross. You see, when the world felt threatened by the message of the cross, it would persecute and malign those who live by it. Simply because Paul was saying, you can't save yourself. You can't save or get God's favor by, by the good works that you do. It's only by the work of Christ on the cross. Because that was his message, they hated him. By the way, not a whole lot has changed in about 2,000 years. Put on your Facebook, Jesus is the only way, and see what happens. Anybody else see the, uh, the news with the uh, Celtics head coach? They asked him about the royal family that went to the Celtics game. And he said, Mary, Mary Joseph, and Jesus? And they said, no, 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 the, uh, you know, the, the, the prince of uh, Wales and, and his wife. He said, ah, I don't know, I didn't see them. I'm only aware of one royal family. Of course, everybody in the newsroom was kind of laughing at that, and he goes, seriously, I, I really don't know the, the royal family too much, but I hope they're Celtics fans, he said. 
than end of the thing. You got on Twitter, you could see the barrage of people who are just like, how dare you? We're still persecuted for the name of Christ. And Paul simply said this. He just said, living in the light of the cross, I've nailed the world, right? The world's nailed me. Living for Jesus, not as easy as it sounds sometimes. Having a walk of faith, not as easy as it sounds. But Paul says, walk that walk, because it's worth it. Then we see not only to live in the light of the cross, though for some it is shame. It brings them shame, yet Paul said, I'm not ashamed of it. I love what he says in Philippians 3, before I get to the second. Philippians 3, 2 and 3, put this in your notes. From the New Living Translation, he put, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil. Those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. That's the people he's talking about in Galatia. He says, for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. There's a walk here. To live in light of the cross, that's what he did. And number two, in light of a new life. In light of a new life. Notice that he says in verse 15, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. He reminded the Galatian Christians that it's not the external that God looks upon to give his favor, but the internal. The only thing that matters if we want God to hear us and show us his favor is, are you in Christ? Not what religion do you belong to? Not what church are you a member of? Are you in Christ or not? That's what he means by new creature. In fact, Paul would use the same term in 2 Corinthians 5.17 when he wrote that letter. He put, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. There it is again. A new creation. He's talking about salvation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Salvation by grace alone in Christ alone leads to a life of faith. Not works. It leads to a walk of faith and being spirit-filled, not a walk of being uh, religious and doing good works. It's not a life of following the law, but a life that follows faith and grace. And that's what ought to define the life. That's what ought to mark the cut in your life. So we see a warning that Paul says to avoid. He's See a walk that he says should define you. And then notice in verse 17 and 18, the wish. His final concluding words reveal kind of his desire for the Galatians Christians as well as for himself. He desires, number one, for them to be a clear follower of Christ. <coughs> well, the Judaizers had tried to teach that by being circumcised, you would become a, a true part of God's family. And have his favor, Paul showed that the markings of God are not found in ritualistic religious practices. They were saying, hey, if you get circumcised, then you're part of God's family and you have his favor. Paul said, that's not where the markings lie. And so many times our world wants to define it that way. Well, a Christian is someone that goes to church. Listen, a Christian is not someone that goes to church. 
Oh, a, a Christian is, is one who reads the Bible. One who reads the Bible is not a Christian. It's not what defines what a Christian is. A Christian is defined by, does that person have faith in Jesus Christ, in Him alone? Has that person asked Jesus to forgive them of their sins? Do they have faith that when Jesus died on the cross, He died for their sins? Do they believe that? They accepted Jesus as their Savior. That's what defines a Christian. And Paul says, I, I, I want to just, here's my desire, Church at Galatia. Listen, don't try to let good works define you. Let Christ define you. If Christ defines you, you will do good works. But you need to be in Christ. Be a clear follower of Christ. And go back to the church of Corinthians. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 8 there in your notes. Because just as in Galatia where he had been where Paul had been beaten for taking the gospel message to those there, Corinthians was much the same in the city of Corinth. And notice what he says, and he writes, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. That's why he says that. From henceforth let no man, verse 17, trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Listen, we, we don't need to be arguing about, should you be circumcised or not? Should you do this or not? He said, listen, put those arguments away. The markings, the markings are here. They're in here. The markings are seen when you live in the light of the cross, as I have done. You might be persecuted for it, yes, but people will see it. People will see the markings in you living a different kind of life, a, a new life, one that has different desires and goals, one that's not living the way that the world says, this is what living is all about, this is what success is, no. You know, the Bible has a definition for success, and it's very different from the world. The world's definition many times of success is, hey, how many people you got working under you? You're a success. And Jesus said, hey, how many people are you working for? You're a success. It's just different. Paul said, the markings I bear in my body from being defined by that kind of walk. Then notice his second wish, and that is to have a spirit-filled life. Verse 18, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Markings of God are found in obedience to his word by living in the power of his spirit. This final verse describes both Paul's ingredient for a spirit-filled life and his love for those in Galatia. He views them as family. He says, brethren, I know y'all been fighting. I know you've been doubting me. I know you've been criticizing my ministry, but you're still my brothers, and I still love you. He said, I'm just going to correct your thinking, and, and he wrote this whole letter to, to show why it's not works that God it matters to God, but a life of faith that matters to God. At the end of writing this whole letter, sometimes pretty direct, sometimes almost harshly, at the end he still says, but brethren, the grace of God be with you. 
views them as that family and that love. He's not abandoned them. He's not forsaken them. He's just reminded them, hey, we're family. I told you this because I love you. He shares his greatest desire, and that's that the grace of God would move them in a way that they would live by that grace. Don't, don't live by these good works. Live by grace. I'll say this one more time. A life of grace produces good works. But good works will never produce a life of grace. A life of grace will produce good works. But a life full of good works will never produce a life of grace. It's impossible. It only flows one way. And that was Paul's message. His last message was simply this. Guys, live a life of grace. Family, brethren, live a life of grace. May that life be what marks your walk. And just stay away from a religious, routine kind of life. This morning we close this book. But as we close it, can I ask, can I ask you a question what is distinguishing you this morning? If you're a diamond, what is your cut? Is it a life striving to have control over others through pride and hypocrisy? Or is it more than that? And what defines your life? Let me warn you this morning, as Paul warned those in Galatia, you don't find joy and peace that way. Making Christianity your choice of religion, not a way you find joy. Over Thanksgiving, I was talking with someone about that, trying to help her understand. She was complaining about religion and problems she sees and I said I'm with you on that she was talking about pastors and she was joking about me and then and then uh, but she was saying but you know but seriously some of, some of these pastors some of these churches man they just rob people blind and I said yeah I agree with you that's why you can't follow a religion even if that religion is Christianity because it's still religion I said what you need is a relationship and the Bible talks about a relationship with God well, I, I think God's important in my life, you know, but I don't think I have to go to church every, every Sunday to prove that. Hey, I don't think you have to either, but you make sure that you have a right relationship with God. You sure you have a relationship with God? At that time, she changed the subject, and we never got to t talk about it again. I hope I have a, an opportunity to do that later down the road, but so important. She didn't know that what she was saying, exactly what the Bible says. Yeah, you're right. Religion doesn't save anyone, but a relationship with Christ does. How about your walk? What defines your walk? Is it the cross? Because if it is, what did you cross crucify this week? Was there something that you needed to? Or how about this? How much were you crucified this week? How much was thrown at you, maybe at work, about what Christmas is all about, okay? You know, sometimes for our faith, we're just going to have to endure that. 
Sometimes you're just going to get made fun of for being a pastor. Oh, well. Sometimes you get made fun of for just praying at lunch. Okay. That's the life of the cross. It's the life that is made new through Christ. It's just, it touches everything in every area. But is that what is defining you? That defines your walk? Or what is it that you're wishing? Paul said, brethren, I wish for the grace of God to fill you. I wish for you to have goals that reflect that grace. That means your goals are going to look different than the world's. People are going to think a little bit funny. Listen, you seniors in high school, there's something a little bit funny about, you don't want to go get a scholarship at Harvard? Okay. If it comes that way, great. And if it doesn't, great. More to life than Harvard. More to life than some paper on the wall that you went to this school. Listen, there's something greater than that. And it's hard for the world to understand that that matters. Well, you, you're not gonna you're not gonna get your kids in this? No, it's okay. They want to play, sure. If they don't, fine. There's something greater than that. Let's not be so consumed with what the world is telling us that we ought to live by and the way we ought to live that we forget the life of grace. Paul said, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Because it's my desire for me and I desire for you. It's God's desire for you to be cut that way. Just a different kind of cut. So I'll just end this study in this letter with that. That warning, that walk, and that wish that Paul had, and it's for us today. May God help us to live a distinguished life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for your truth. Oh, this book, it's just a short book, six chapters. But the depth and wealth of wisdom that was found in it, Father, moves our soul, moves us to a closer walk and a greater view of you. Father, I pray that as we think of the freedom and the liberty that we have in Christ, we would see that that liberty is more than some religious life. In fact, it has nothing to do with a religious life. It has everything to do with a life that is, has a walk and a relationship with you that is real. It makes us different. It distinguishes us from others. So, Father, help us to, to live that kind of life. As a piano plays, just quickly, perhaps this morning you're saying, you know, Pastor, that's what I want. I want a walk that is real, and I, I just wanted a desire to live a life of grace and spirit-filled. And would you just pray for me? I want to. I want to apply some of this truth. I don't want to fall in the trap of just religion and routine in my church. I, I, I really want to live a life that is growing in my relationship with Christ. Would you just pray for me? Is there someone like that? Say, Pastor, just pray for me. Anything like that? God bless you. I see that. God bless you. God bless you. I see that. God bless you. 
I'm with you. Perhaps there's here, someone's here that's never accepted Jesus as their personal Savior. You haven't been made new. You haven't even started a relationship with Christ. And today, that's the decision you need to make. Is there anyone here that says, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to start a relationship with Jesus. I've been living a religious life, but I need a relationship with Jesus. I need to be saved. I've just never been saved. Does anyone like that? Raise their hand. Let's pray. Father, my hand was lifted with those that raised their hand today. Closer walk and better desires in life is what we want. Higher goals. Be with us to do that. Keep us away from any kind of religious and routine kind of life when it comes to our Christian walk. Help us to apply and remember these truths. We've been made free. Only we don't want to use our liberty as an occasion of the flesh and to live however we want. Help us to live in freedom. Help us to walk by the Spirit and in the power of the Spirit because that's how free you made us to be. Lord, may we be different as we live for you. We ask this in Jesus' precious name.